Welcome to episode 7 of the Country Line Songwriter Series, where you'll hear from some of the most successful artists and songwriters working in Nashville today. Country music is all about storytelling, and this is where you'll discover the stories from the people themselves of how they managed to find their way into such a competitive industry and rise to the top what motivates and inspires them, and what they've learned along the way. Going deep into the southern roots of various styles, Tennessee rapper, vocalist, and songwriter Jelly Roll's music explores themes of addiction, pain, and the struggle for better days. Born Jason Deford, Jelly Roll was raised in the Antioch neighborhood of Nashville, Tennessee. His father was a meat salesman who also worked as a bookie on the side, while his mother dealt with her own mental health and addiction issues. At the age of 14, Jelly Roll and several others were arrested and charged with multiple counts of possession of marijuana and attempted robbery. Before his transition into country music, he launched his career in hip-hop. His 2013 mixtape, Whiskey, Weed and Women, was originally named Whiskey, Weed and Waffle House, but was later changed after the restaurant threatened legal action over the use of their name and logo on the cover. He initially broke through on the underground scene before topping the independent albums chart in 2016 with his release, Sobriety Sucks. 2021 saw his first major label album release with Ballads of the Broken, which featured the massive country crossover hit Son of a Sinner. And in August of 2022, I, Stuart Banford, got the chance to chat with him. The Country Line Songwriters Series with Jelly Roll. I mean, the people, they know your song, Son of a Sinner, but they don't yet know the man behind the song. Let's change that, right? You were born and raised in Antioch, Tennessee, and I love the fact that growing up, your two brothers were just constantly playing rap music. Your sister was into rock bands like Metallica and Nirvana. Your father ran a meat company, and he sort of flipped between jazz and singer-songwriters like James Taylor and Jim Croce. And your mother, you've been very open about the fact that she's had her battles with, you know, addiction and depression. But she loved um, classic Motown and outlaw country. I mean, that's a fairly eclectic mix to be surrounded by from day one as the youngest. So it's clearly informed your own sound today, but particularly your live show as well, right? Oh, yeah, dude. My live show is somewhere between a rock show, a hip hop show, a country show and a little bit of a back road tent revival. It's got a little Southern Baptist gospel to it, you know? So yeah, to me, that's kind of what made me who I am as far as, especially musically and culturally, you know, the way we dress, it was such a different thing. You think when you think of music, you don't just think of just the music side, you think of the culture side. I had a sister that wore, you know, black band t-shirts and Jinkos, right? You know, and I had a brother who, you know, wore nothing but, you know, like t-shirts and blue jeans, you know? So it was funny to watch the cultural side of it, too. Yeah. I know you spent some time in prison, but that's where you really honed your rap skills. And I love the fact that you would get the guards to take you to different units within the prison and you would compete in rap battles. It became a thing that happened at night that people were excited about. You know, yeah. it's almost like the guards way of chicken fighting, except for nobody got hurt. <laughs> And um, your daughter, while you were in prison, your daughter Bailey came into your life. I think she's now 14. But her arriving into the world, that was a major motivating factor for when you got out of jail to then do everything to try and establish some sort of a career within music. And there was a guy called Jazz Hard who would take you to barbershops in different projects within Nashville. And he would lay down like 
10 grand on you winning rap battles. This is true, man. Jazz Howard, Cross Tracks Entertainment. I'll show you something I've never showed anybody. But right here on the inside of my arm, right downward, says Cross Tracks right here. Uh-huh. That was his company name was Cross Tracks. Wow. And uh, he gave me a chain. I'll never forget Jazz, man. I still talk to him. We call him Coach. <laughs> I still talk to Coach. Uh, I don't talk to him as much as I should, but I talk to him every few months just check in on him. There was a point, it was actually for a couple of years, I think, you were essentially living in a van. You were an opening act and you'd be making like 50 to 100 bucks per show and you'd be selling off T-shirts and CDs just to stay afloat. But that's around the same time you met your wife, Bunny. I was broke, busted and fixing to do something disgusting. And we were down in Fremont Street at this little bar called the Las Vegas Country Saloon. And I was playing there it was like a soft ticket thing, you know. Yeah. And uh, I met her by the bar, the old school way. You know, the old, it might as well have been aisle three of the grocery store. She's so intimidating because she's so beautiful looking. And then you get to know her and you're just like, she is a, she is silly, man. So she's been the best thing that ever happened to me. She definitely supported me whenever I wasn't financially stable too. Tell me about that transition though, from rap to singing country. Two things. Do you find that it's easier to get across your story and your message in one or the other? And tell me about how significant, um, your label head, is it John Loba, has been in that transition? John Loba is one of the greatest humans on earth. He is fearless in an industry full of guys who are petrified. He just lives in his own world over there on Music Row. He just acts like the rules that are supposed to be here don't exist. And that's what initially attracted me to him, mm-hmm. was Loba just, look at the record label, you know, roster. I say it all the time. It looks like a halfway house. You know, there's a hippie with bell bottoms jeans singing about hearts like trucks and man's auto nose. Blanco Brown looks like he's fixing to record a rap album tomorrow. Yeah. I love that about him. Designer bags and big watches. Then you look at like Parmalee is like, to me, they're still that rock band that grinded it out in a van together. A bunch of cousins that just love music. You know, they got a Mexican that used to be a cop. Right. Think about that. It's like I looked at that label and was like, this is for me. This is home. <laughs> I belong here. You know, this looks like my dinner table at Thanksgiving. Between the rap or the singing, I mean, is there a difference? Obviously, there's more emotion in your voice when you're singing, but you can get more words in when you're rapping, right? Yeah, that's a great analysis, man, is that I have 600 words to convey an idea in a rap song, and I've got 50 words, but I can present it in a way more emotional texture singing. I would have sang earlier if I knew I could, though. I just didn't know I could sing. It wasn't like, you know, nobody ever told me, hey, man, you sound great. You know, just any kind of encouragement up the hill might have changed that going on. But nobody really gave me that kind of. So I just didn't know until, you know, later I, I realized I was like doing melodies for choruses, but I was never comfortable enough to really open up and sing them. And then I, I kind of got comfortable in my voice and I found my voice and I knew what the material of the music was supposed to be. It's always been just right real songs, you know. But uh, once I found my voice, I think that was the turning point. That's obviously whenever I, every record label on earth called me, I dropped a song called Save Me. And, you know, it was crazy. It went from like me thinking people didn't even know I was doing music to like everybody in the music business knowing I was doing music. It was wild. I'm a lost cause. Baby, don't waste your time on me. I'm so damaged beyond repair. Life has shattered my hopes and my dreams. I'm a lost cause. 
your time on me I'm so damaged beyond repair Life has shattered my hopes and my dreams And Son of a Sinner is climbing the American country charts as we speak. It's this gritty, you know, tale of life after rock bottom. You wrote the song with Ernest and David Ray Stevens. I think you wrote it at Nashville's Sound Emporium. Tell me a bit about the, the writing of it, the recording. Did you know you were on to something special? I'm just a long-haired son of a sinner Searching for new ways I can get gone I'm a pedal to the highway If you ever wonder why we write these songs Yeah, I knew I was on to something special. I... So I still block like weeks off at a time in studios and I go write and record the album at the same time, like an old rock band. Mm-hmm. And we pretty much just immerse ourselves in 15 hour days. We just sit in there and drink until the magic shows up. You know, we're here now. You just got to wait for the magic of songwriting to show up. Right. And we were later in the album at that point. I felt like I had a really solid album. So there was no pressure in the room. We didn't know Ernest was coming. We were kind of over it. Mm-hmm. And then Ernest was next door picking up. I, I always tell the story different because I don't remember what he was doing. I should ask him one day. But it was like ribs or something for his wife that wasn't ready at the barbecue pit. Martin's next to Sound Emporium. Mm-hmm. He's like, you still at Sound Emporium? Like, he's like, I'm going to come over. Let's smoke one. And we did. And we had a couple shots. And, and Ernest broke out his guitar. And, you know, I got the video footage from it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop the video soon of that whole night because I, I documented the whole session. And um, I've heard whispers that you've got a, a full-blown country album in the works. You know, the works at this point is being gracious. I'd say it's finished. I'd say my foot just hit third base and I'm going to bring it home soon. I'm expecting late this year, early next year, full album release. Okay. And you've been playing some shows in the States with Brantley Gilbert and you've got a, a collaboration out with him, uh, Son of the Dirty South. I know you, you two wrote that one with Andrew Bayless. Uh, tell right. me a bit about how that one came together and how Brantley came into your life. flirted with each other on Instagram, just talking, you know, joking, flirting, but, you know, we just hit each other up. And uh, he, he called me one night and we just chat. I just knew I was going to be a lot like him. Everybody in town kept saying, you got to meet Brantley. Y'all are too much alike each other not to have met. Yeah. And they yeah. were telling him the same thing in reverse. And we just hit it off. And he was like, look, man, I just want to do something rowdy. I was like, dude, easy money. And he, he had Son of the Dirty South tattooed on. So he came in and was like, let's just do something rowdy. And I was like, awesome. And then I realized I was going to be rapping again. I was like, even cooler. I was like, this is awesome, you know? Yeah. So that's cool. It was November of last year. You made your Opry debut. And you've spoken about how just even getting the invitation alone, it was a massive moment of realization of the struggles you've overcome and, and where you are now in your life. Oh, yeah, man. It's just when you look at the moment of like, there's things that define where you've made it to. And to me, the Grand Ole Opry is is about as high on that list as anything else can be. Yeah. You know, you just keep having these moments where you're like, man, I cannot believe that this is actually where I am in my life. Like that I'm literally playing the Grand Ole Opry. I was invited to come sing songs at the Grand Ole Opry. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
That's an insane concept, you know, and to have went back and done it twice now and got to do it with Craig Morgan and just have such a special night, you know, I think we're going to do it again this year. I want to do it as much as they'll let me. My whole thing now is that my campaign is dream bigger. It was in my wildest dream. I could play the Grand Ole Opry. And then you play it. So now you're like, I got to dream bigger. Now it's like, I want to play it as much as possible. We're headlining the Bridgestone Arena here in Nashville, Tennessee later this year. That is one of those moments for me where you're like, I grew up coming to this arena. Like I went to the Barnum and Bailey Circus here with my father. I was here when the Predators had opening night. Like I remember so much stuff that I I can't even count. Taking my daughter to Disney on ice, Shrek on ice, the Shrek play, all this different stuff into the same arena, you know? It's a yeah. big place, man. Tell me about performing on the Opry stage with Craig Morgan, singing Almost Home, a song that's you know, means so much to you in your own personal story. And then for him to present you with that signed, framed copy of the lyrics. I mean, what a night. Y'all make some noise for the living legend, Mr. Craig Morgan. Shortly after I got out of jail, I did. I sat right there in row seven and I cried like a baby and watched him sing. And I remember thinking, I want to make people feel the way he makes me feel right now. This is a true testimony that God is real and all things are possible. Because that same kid that was in jail and struggling, his wife is sitting right there. He's not sitting there tonight. That kid is standing next to Craig Morgan. (laughs) Here we go, buddy. Let's do it. I just climbed out of a cottonwood tree. I cried, he cried, we cried, our president of our label cried, everybody cried. It was a big cry. And I never thought that I would have a night at the Opry that would be more special than my debut. Yeah. To come back the second time and sing the song that brought me to the Grand Ole Opry with the guy who sings it was just unreal. You know, and knowing that I found that song. You know, I have a list of songs in my career that I found incarcerated. And those songs will always stick out to me because to some degree, they're a timestamp of where you were in your life at that moment. Mm -hmm. You know, you'll never forget the song. I'll never forget hearing Darius Rucker's Don't Think I Don't Think About It for the first time in jail. You know what I mean? It's like stuff like that that'll always sit with you, you know? So you remember those eras better than anything. And that's what made it so special with Craig, too. Finally, just you mentioned that big gig coming up at the Bridgestone Arena. What people maybe aren't aware of and what's equally as special as just you playing there in the first place. The profits from the show, you're matching out of your own pockets. And this money is going to go towards establishing um, a youth development music program in Davidson County. Why is that so important for you to do? 
Well, I believe that the youth is our future. And I was incarcerated as a young man. I made some series of bad decisions from the age of 14 to 17. that just constantly kept me in the juvenile justice system. And I just remember thinking, man, I was so impressionable in that moment of my life. Mm -hmm. And my impressions was coming from other juvenile criminals and guards. There was no program. Nobody came and gave hope. Nobody brought light. Nobody did anything that made me feel like there was a future outside of these walls. And I feel like kids are so impressionable that I want to create avenues to give them positive impressions Mm -hmm. outside of where they are. You know, I've, I've seen kids go to juvenile that were just foster care kids, just had a drug addict mom and father and would end up in these juvenile houses mm-hmm. and then they start rebelling. So they start going to juvenile detention facilities just because they were rebelling. And then you have a kid who might not have ever been a criminal. That's a full minded criminal now because of the circumstances that, you know what I mean? It was, um, I just really want to lean in on that and try to help those kids. And listen, the song Son of a Sinner, the album Ballads of the Broken, it's out. It's incredible. I think, as I say, you know, your story is just inspirational. And I think everybody or as many people as possible need to hear it. And uh, thanks, man, for giving me some time and continued success. Thank you, my friend. We'll do it any and every time. And hopefully whenever I make it over there, I'll get to see you. The Countryline Songwriters Series with Jelly Roll. More episodes from this series are available on the Countryline app and website or just search for the Countryline Songwriters Series wherever you normally get your podcasts.